Are you ready for some nosy bitches? Because this is about to get explicit. Hey, bitches. Welcome back. Hey, bitches. Hey, Michael. Hey, Carla. How you doing? Good. So this story, I want to tell you not about my hometown, but a hometown of one of my family members. So my cousins lived just in the town next to where this happened at. And my aunt actually knew the parents. I don't know if my cousins knew the boy, but they definitely knew his family. And this case stayed with me like my whole life. I remember when it was eventually solved, I sobbed with them. And so there is nothing about the case of Jacob Wetterling that I haven't heard and looked over the facts of it. It's a really interesting case. It's actually a precedence case. I know we've kind of been doing things in the past. You know, we had John Bonet in the 90s, and I'm going to take you almost back to the 90s, take you to 1989. Yeah, we've been the 90s, and now we're in the 80s. Yeah, so before I start, I do want to talk about a podcast that covered this story. So there's a podcast called In the Dark by Madeline Barron. First of all, she has two series, one about the Jacob Wetterling case and one about Curtis Flowers. Absolutely fascinating. I don't know if she's doing podcasts right now, but these two seasons that she did, fabulous. So if you really want to deep dive into that case, and I recommend listening to the second series as well, it's I would say it's one of the best series. I mean, except for Nosy Bitches. Of course. It's one of the best. Listen, subscribe, like, do all the things. (laughs) It's one of the best series that I've listened to. Definitely feel free to go check it out if. Yeah, show her some love. Yeah, if this is something that you want to learn more about or hear about it, because she really goes into deep about it. So I want to take us all the way back to 1989. So I'm going to start us first, January 13th, 1989. You're in small town, Minnesota. Okay. So Jared, a 12-year-old boy walking home, was captured by a man in a blue car. He was sexually assaulted and then released by an unknown adult man. He was told that he needs to run and don't look back or he would shoot him. Wait, how old was he again? 12 years old. Dear God, this world is fucked up sometimes. Yeah, and Jared's story, Jared plays a big character in the case of Jacob Wetterling. So I want to start out with what happened with him first. And he also tells Jared that if they ever get close to finding him, that he's going to come after him again. So like not only This is the same guy that told him to run. Yep. Not only run, don't look back. But also, if the police ever find out it's me, I'm coming for you and I'm coming for your family. Ten miles and nine months later, same year, 1989, we're in St. Joseph, Minnesota. And I've been to St. Joseph's about once or twice a year. We would drive from Florida all the way to Minnesota. And it's beautiful. So I always tell people this part of Minnesota is really small towns. It's kind of farmed. It's outside of Minneapolis, outside of St. Cloud. It's where... The Mississippi, right above there, the Mississippi gets so small, you can you can cross right over it. So it's kind of exciting where the Mississippi is huge here on the Gulf Coast. Anyway, it's October 22nd, 1989. This is an abnormally warm Minnesota day in October. It's a Sunday. The kids have off the next day. For this town, there's about 3,000 residents. Wetterling family is a family of six. They have four children. The parents are Patty and Jerry. Jacob is one of four kids. 
He's described as a happy, passionate kid who did everything 100%. He wanted to be a vet, and he loved animals. On this Sunday, he goes fishing with his dad. They watch the Minnesota Vikings, and they go ice skating. Had a great day with his family. One of his friends, Aaron, is staying the night. So the parents decide to go over to their friend's house. It's about 25 minutes away. They leave Jacob and his younger brother, Trevor, and their friend, Aaron, and I think the younger sister is there as well. They decide that they want to rent a movie at the local Tom Thumb, which was about a mile away. So it's edging close to like 9 p.m. Jacob is 11 years old, Trevor is nine, and Aaron is 11. And they want to ride their bikes up there to the Tom Thumb. I feel like right now, if my daughter asked me to go up to the Tom Thumb at 9 p.m. at night on her bike, I would be like, absolutely not. But you have to remember, this is 1989. It's a really small town. It's only one mile away. Some cornfields. There are some houses and things like that. So it's like, even though for us, it's, hey, they're going up to the gas station to rent a movie. It's really just a hop, skip it away. Maybe a few minutes, maybe 10, 15 minutes away. So they call their parents to ask if they can go to the gas station. And the mom's like, no, absolutely not. And so, of course, the boys are like, hey, let me talk to dad. Patty, Playing them yeah. against each other? Oh. I see them. Yeah, 100%. I see them. Hey, let me ask dad. That's right. So they get their dad on the phone. And Jerry, he's really concerned mainly about it just being so dark. And he doesn't want them to accidentally get hit. So the boys are like, no problem. We will wear a reflective vest and we'll bring our flashlights. The dad is like, okay, that's fine. I'll let you guys go. They call their neighbor friend, who I think is a young lady, about 14 years old, to come over and watch their younger sister while they ride their bike over there. Boys head off to go run the bike. And they are. They're going through some cornfield and some neighboring houses. The neighbors actually remember seeing. So again, it's a warm night for Minnesota in October. People are outside enjoying their yard. There's actually like two siblings who are playing. I guess they called it night games. And they even stopped and chatted with the boys for a little bit. And they said that they threw some corn at them, like just being funny. Midwesterners. Yeah. So I was like, throw some corn. Throw some corn. That's right. Do your thing. On the way there, they pass a driveway that's kind of a dark part of the road. Remember, there's no street lights. They do have areas that it's very dark and they're using their flashlights. The youngest boy, Trevor, his spidey senses are going off. He feels like he hears some like rustling or some kind of a noise, but it's not enough for him to say anything to his brother or to his brother's friend but he remembers it. They get their movie and they're on their way back and they're making it to that dark driveway that Trevor had remembered hearing some weird noises. And here's essentially what happens. A man wearing all black with something covering his face starts walking upon them. No. He walks up to the boys with a revolver and asks them to lay down in a ditch. But at some point he must ask them for their name or to get up and their age. And the youngest boy, Trevor, says that he's nine. And so he tells Trevor, run, don't look back, or I'll shoot you. And so Trevor starts to run as fast as he probably can. At that point, it's the two 11-year-old, Jacob and Aaron. He asks Aaron how old he was. He says he's 11. He asks Jacob how old he is. He says he's 11. I guess he grabs Aaron by the crotch and then tells him to run don't look back or I'll shoot. And Trevor, what the f- 
it's it's horrific. I mean, really. Like, it's just such a crazy thing. As you've been telling the beginning of this, I've been trying to put me into, like, 11-year-old Michael space. I, I wouldn't even know how to compute this information if I were them. I'm going to tell you, when you listen to the recordings, and I'll have to, like, share some of the interviews that they do after this night... They sound like little, they are little children, but they they sound like little children. It really reminds you that 11 and 9 years old is so young. Especially for boys, like girls get into that preteenness a little bit sooner than the boys do. Like these are, these are boys. It's also crazy to see like how close they were to neighbors. So those two kids that they ran into, the kids ended up going inside their house, but they said they were probably like one minute from where that happened. It's just incredible really that nobody was there at that one moment. That person really chose that opportunity that where it was darkest on this gravel road. And might have even scoped that out like long beforehand to know that this was the ideal spot that they're looking for. Like how much of a sick messed up thing is that? Oh, there definitely is some interesting stories that end up coming out that definitely makes you think that this person chose this spot on purpose. He grabs Aaron. He tells Aaron to run and don't look back. Jacob stays, and that would be the last time that any of them saw Jacob ever again. God. The other two boys, they run immediately to Jacob's house. They're screaming. They're crying. The babysitter's really freaked out. She immediately calls her father, Merle, to come over. So he gets over there. He calls the Wetterlings. He's like, listen, something happened. Jacob didn't come home. You need to get home right now. So again, they're about 25 minutes home and obviously they get in the car and they're rushing to get home merle also calls 911 and first law enforcement arrives around 9 30 so this is about 15 minutes after jacob has been captured so it's really fast like time is of the essence the officer is talking with the boys asking questions he wants them to go back and show him where at the boys are terrified absolutely terrified out of their mind to go back but merle convinces them like i'll go with you with the officer and we'll go look so they decide to leave the babysitter again with the little sister and the babysitter recounts in that podcast in the dark she recounts being terrified like her father left her with a shotgun and was like if anyone comes in that door like you shoot them do not hesitate shoot them and she said that like they cowered her and the the little sister like cowered just thinking that somebody would get would, oh, hell yeah would show up i i would do that still in my 30s absolutely <laughs> not long after that the actual sheriff shows up more investigators are coming they question the boys they really start to question the boys was this an accident was this shooting were you guys playing and jacob got hurt did he just run away and the boys are adamant like no this is what happened they start to search that area and they do find some tire tracks and a footprint at this point we're now like an hour and a half later they did bring helicopters out to search in the air they are searching both in the air and on foot they really are trying to put a lot of people out to look for Jacob and kind of figure out what's happened. Right. While they're out searching, one of the neighborhood farms very close to where Jacob went missing lives a 34-year-old man, Dan. He says that he actually saw a car head down the driveway and then turn around and heads toward the road. He doesn't really think much about it. He goes to bed. 
He ends up waking up later to the dogs barking and he sees guys with flashlight around his burn pit and he gets really concerned and he's about to head out there and then he's like, wait, there's like more men than than just me. So he calls 911. They let him know that a boy has been abducted and the police officers are out searching the area. So he walks. Those were the flashlights that he saw then. That's exactly. Okay. Yep. That's what he sees. That is not how, however, does not explain the car that he saw turn around in his yard. Mm. So guys there with the flashlights he walks out talks to one of the officers and they tell him like hey we're searching for this boy he pretty much says okay they don't ask to search other areas of his farm that's pretty much just the end of the conversation and dan goes back to bed just hold that in your memory because the story will come back to dan dear god okay his parents really begin probably what is the worst night of their life. The search is completely unsuccessful. They don't find Jacob. They don't find the abductor outside of the footprint and the tire tracks. They don't find much else. They decide at 3 a.m., big decision is made to call off the search. They just felt like it was too dark. They were going to miss things and that they should resume again in the morning time. Within five days into Jacob missing, Patty Wetterling goes on to the radio, on media. She's making pleas for her son. There are flyers everywhere. The teams are combing the ground. There's hundreds of investigators. The governor actually calls the National Guard. The Minnesota National Guard involves 18 hours days. This search actually goes down in history. I don't know if it still is, but at least at that time, it was like one of the biggest missing person for one person search party that had ever happened there is no expense spared when it comes to searching for him let's talk about some of the investigation though police 101 right something happens you want to secure the scene you want to start close your neighbors the family members and then you want to start spreading out you want to talk to everybody and you want to talk to them multiple times and you want to start asking questions what did you see anything suspicious, anything you didn't think was suspicious, anything bothering you. And you want to have those conversations over and over again. So that's just policing 101. So looking back at some of the investigation, let's just call them maybe missteps. It's also, you know, it's 1989. I know in 2022, we know a lot more about investigation than we knew back then. But really, these are opportunities for us to say later that these are ways we could do better. These are things that we could have done better on. So the sheriff does ask for help. He gets the FBI involved. FBI shows up, I think, within like the next day. When talking as far as like to the neighbors and to some of the surrounding areas, of course, we know with the one neighborhood guy, he came out and talked to the police. But he essentially wasn't questioned for quite a while after that. Some of the neighbors don't remember being questioned that night at all. They said, like, maybe only, like, six people were even questioned that night. Why would you do that, though? Like, why wouldn't you talk to every single person that is at your disposal that could possibly have some information about this? That seems weird, right? Well, especially because, like, part of some of the investigations that happened later, and I think some of it were, like, private investigations— People saw them. Neighbors saw them. Kids talked to them. Like, well, you you said that. Like, all of this is really close-knit. If you are in this general vicinity, odds are, even if you didn't realize in the moment that it was something weird and something was going wrong there, you saw something that could be helpful to police. I think this case, probably more so than some other cases, this case is a game of proximity. Yeah. There are so many things red flags that 
people end up talking about that happened in or around the time that Jacob went missing that really if you start piecing it together you probably could have found the person who kidnapped him and murdered him much faster than what happened. This it feels a little bit John Bonet y, right? Like right, where some of the, the initial missteps from police are why there wasn't a resolution to this as soon as there could have been. It's gotta be so frustrating to the family. One thing that happens is as this story is spreading, a boy that is in a neighboring farm right there where Jacob was taken, he said that him and his friend had a situation with a blue car where a man kind of like chased them up their driveway in the car. They had a steering contest, but it really freaked them out. And he felt like there was two different circumstances, but it sat with him when Jacob went missing. Um, Yeah, that's weird. Never have I ever right. experienced something like that in my life. No. Yeah, he just felt like it was really off and it was at the same place where Jacob was missing. Nah, nah. So he tells his dad, he's very concerned about it. They go, they talk to the police about it. I will say that this situation set with that young man for so long that in 2004, as an adult, he goes back to the police and is like, look, this has bothered me for so long, but I need to make sure, maybe I didn't explain it well as a child, but I need to make sure because the case is still open, Jacob is still missing, I want to make sure that you guys have all of the information. He goes back and tells them again, and essentially they brush it off. He says, I'll show you where it was at. I'll take you. And nothing comes from it. I will just never, that makes zero sense to me. I am completely open to this idea that some people maybe do come forward with information that just isn't valuable. But when someone is that adamant about it, when someone is trying to tell you, listen, something about this felt wrong and I think it may be connected, why wouldn't you listen to that? What is their... What is there to gain from that being said? This investigation, let me step back to what happened with Jared in the beginning of 1989. Of course, they let the police know after he's abducted. He does a lineup and he picks out two guys from that lineup. He's not 100% sure that he saw what happened. One of the men that he did pick out out of the lining, his name was Danny Heinrich. And... Danny was questioned December 16th, 1989 by the FBI for the kidnapping of the other boy. And they do talk to him about Jacob. And did he know what happened? Of course, he denies everything. They do take his DNA, which at 1989, there's not a lot that you can do with it. But he was never charged. He was released. Really, for the most part, this case goes cold. Year after year, it doesn't get solved. They aren't able to figure out what happens. It takes us like all the way to 2014. A cold case was opened. They got a new investigation. And actually with... For 25 years. Yeah. They get some help with an internet blogger. And they start investigating and put some reinvestigation in here. One of the things that they figure out is besides the case of Jared in January of 89, there's also five other cases both in 87 and 86 87 was a great year (laughs) (laughs) of 87 and 86 where boys were sexually assaulted and then released so there's kind of this pattern now i will say when jacob's case nobody saw a car but they know that he had to he literally was there and then he was gone 
He didn't yeah, vanish. What, I mean, do you, was it a bicycle? Like, yeah. what, are you, what are you talking about? So there, of had course. To, there had to have been a car that was involved. Of some kind. That's yeah. right. Of course, the, the, the neighbor says that he saw a car turn around in his yard. Like, what? Are, do they think it's an alien invasion? Like, he came down and just... No, of course there was a car involved. The other thing that really bothers me is, in Jacob's situation, they didn't know about a car. But obviously, they know he was taken in some way. Now, I've heard from some investigation that they were able to explain away that it was a different car. and It wasn't involved in the case. That person had been cleared. But I still think you can't dismiss it. But the part that really bothers me is... The two boys in Jacob's situation say, he told me to run, don't look back or he'll shoot me. Guess what happened to Jared? The exact same words were picked out. And it's so specific, Carla. Right. What? Jared picked one of two, like he picked two people out of a lineup. So those are the things that really, and it it's so close in proximity. You're talking about like 30 miles apart. Yeah. Not, not very far. Actually, from where Jared was taken, it's only 10 miles apart. So to me, like that's too close in proximity. And it's the same thing. It's the same MO. So I don't know, for me, it does feel hard on why it stayed cold. If you're waiting for the DNA and this is the, your person that you've been investigating the whole time and you're waiting for technology, I totally get that. That's the thing, because so much of that, I guess, could be circumstantial, right? But it just, that feels like really circumstantial. You know what I mean? Like if these were two MOs that were happening across the country, one was in LA, one was in Florida, I I would be like, yeah, okay, maybe we just have two assailants that have some sort of similar MO, but 10 miles from each other, I mean, come on. That's the other thing. If it's like one's in a big city and maybe you're a small town, these are all small town Minnesota right right here. Again, Mm. maybe he was in the back of their minds the whole time and they were waiting for technology to let them know as far as DNA or something like that. To make it beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the other thing. So let's go back to that neighbor, Dan. 34-year-old, lived at home with his parents. He was described as a music nerd. He was a band teacher, but... He said he was weird. Like, he says, he was like, I'm weird. So for whatever reason, maybe because his girlfriend had broken up with him, there was like this weird list of reasons. The sheriff's department starts to really look at him. And they label him as a person of interest in this case. I mean, that feels like a big leap to kind of weird, but has like been with an adult female. And now all of a sudden he's into little boys, apparently. I mean, maybe, maybe it you're about to there. tell me more, but that's no. like a, that's a, that's a big leap. Yeah, <laughs> I and don't I, know. I say that like lived there his whole life. Yeah. You know? So there's a lot of. Feels more likely he's just a weirdo. Right. But also you don't have any proof. You don't have yep. anything, but you're going to go and say that he's a person of interest. And it, again, small town. So he says that he spent this whole time while they were finding Jacob's real assailant under this cloud of suspicion from everyone that maybe he had something to do with it. And again, he's a teacher. So that adds all sorts of weird complications to it. Well, maybe they might have been looking for someone else or thought that somebody else did it and they were just waiting for technology. They're definitely trying to claim that other people of interest are involved in this case. Cold cases opened. In 2015, Boom, they've got a DNA match off of Jared's case. Also, let me throw this out there. Jared continued to think about his situation and think about 
Jacob missing. And he really starts to do some investigation as he gets older and really feels that the person who did this to him is out there and is probably right there. And could he be connected to Jacob or could he be connected to these other things? Jared becomes a huge advocate for himself and really a, a hero in this very tragic story. Danny Heinrich's DNA matches to the sample that was left with Jared, but the case ha- cannot be charged because guess what? the statue of fucking limitations has been reached. Please, somebody with a criminal background, let me know why there is a statue of limitation on assaulting a child. I do not fucking understand. Is there a statute of limitations on the trauma that that child is going to experience for the rest of their lives? I think not society. So can we please stop treating this like it's some petty theft that just gets to be forgiven after 10 years? What the fuck, Right, it's not a bad check. Like, Like, right? You didn't just rob a bank. Like (laughs) In the Dark podcast, Jared talks about just how heartbreaking really that was for him. And I can only imagine my heart just goes out to him that you finally have found this sick son of a bitch who did this to you and you can't even charge. Well, and it feels so much more complicated too because there's new evidence involved, right? This would be something different if we're going off of the exact same stuff that we had back in 1989 and we've just decided that we have a new suspect, but that's not what happened. Like we we have new ways of looking at DNA and we found a match. Like Yeah, I think what's interesting too is he was one of the two people that Jared had pointed out in a lineup. He's identified this person right. he, and his DNA matches. Since nineteen eighty nine. Since December sixteenth. 1989. If y'all could see the incredulous eye roll that I just did right now. <laughs> Dear God. Heavy blinking is happening right Heavy now. Heavy blinking. <laughs> While they couldn't make any charges, they were able to get a search warrant. So it's not all bad news. Search warrants issued okay. and they find child pornography in the house and are able to arrest him. I'm shocked. Here's really where the story heats up. As part of a plea bargain, like they really start pushing him because I think at this point, they feel very strongly that he is involved in Jacob's case. Whoever, I feel very strongly yeah, that he's whoever involved. Is, whoever is investigating the case at this point really is putting it together. They had the five boys before Jared. Then what Jared said, the story that Aaron and Trevor played back for them, like the blue car. Oh, also, let me mention that Danny Heinrich had a blue Ford. Blue Ford. And so like (laughs) blue car kind of resonated over and over again. And I know maybe not for Jacob's case, because again, I think other than the one neighbor who said that they saw a blue car, also the boy though, who said at some point before Jacob went missing, that he had a strange encounter with a blue car. The blue car has showed up over and over again. And I think that if you really started to put it together and realize, and again, I'm not being trying to be super hypercritical of the investigation was done. I'm just saying like looking back, this is definitely something that you were like, okay, you know what? We should have paid attention to that. I I was trying to play devil's advocate in my head as you were laying that out, right? And blue is probably the second or third most popular car color, right? So I'm sure from a 
police perspective, they're again being like, can we actually nail this person on it? Is this like a beyond a reasonable doubt thing? Maybe not. You know, if it was an orange car, probably, right? They'd be able to be like, yep, this is the, this is the son bitch that did it. I, but come on, like all these things, the identification, the DNA match, the color of the car, it just starts to feel a little ridiculous, right? Yeah. I can't even with this investigation. I'm really, <laughs> honestly. Carla, let's go be. I know. Let's do it. We're just going to jump in. We're quitting our day jobs. Yeah, I'm like trying to be so nice about Bye. it. I'm frustrated for the family that had to go so long. I'm frustrated for the people involved in it. And I'm frustrated that this sicko was out there for that much longer. Well, and how much damage did he do that he didn't get caught for, right? Because it's not just the cases that we were able to pin him with DNA and with, you know, recognizing him and actually saying, yes, that this is the guy that I think did it. But it's all the people that maybe don't get to tell their story. And who knows how many other victims there were. Yes. So as part of his plea agreement, and he does eventually confess to abducting and at this point, the murder of Jacob Wetterling. So as part of his plea agreement, just this is going to blow your mind. So just be prepared. He is in charge with murder. He is only charged with one count of the 25 federal child pornography charges. He had to testify to the details of what happened, but he was not charged with murder. He did get one of the, I think it's the max sentence, which is, is 20 years. So he'll still be a very old man. The judge even said that he can't imagine that the world letting him out again. One of the prosecutors said later that he wished he could have charged him with murder, but it wasn't an overwhelmingly strong case. And this was a definite, it was a close to the family and it would still allow for justice to be had. I don't know like what conversations between them and the family, but it seems for the most part that people were okay with what, but it really did blow my mind. They're okay because it's better than nothing. Right. But I'm just trying to process this. This horrible asshat of a human being ran a child down, scared the living daylights out of him, sexually assaulted him, and then murdered him. And all they're able to pin this awful human being on is child pornography. And, I mean, six other men, too, before he even gets there. And they can't even charge him for the sexual assault because he, he's already passed the statute of limitations. But the men before that are definitely passed their statute of It is crazy how the justice system works. And I will say that when you listen to the interview, you can hear the prosecutor like definitely has feelings about what happened. Whatever that's worth, you could tell maybe he lost sleep that night. But that's part of the job. Sometimes you have to do what you have to do. And they were able to finally bring Jacob home. September 1st, 2016, the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension recovered human remains 30 miles from where Jacob was taken. Within two days... By way of dental records, they confirmed that this was Jacob. Not only have they had to go through this tragedy, and I do understand it. There is value in trying to make sure that who you're prosecuting is in fact guilty. I'm not trying to poo-poo that. I'm just emotionally attached to what that family must have gone through. You've lost someone that's important to you in a horrific way absolutely horrific he knew no peace in the last moments of his life and now this family is having to go back go to bat repeatedly 
to get a fucking diminished sentence at the end of the day. So Danny Heinrich does have to testify out loud what happened. So this is what... Damn right. Yeah. Um, He owes that to his family. So in a very crowded courtroom, he describes what happened that night. That he took Jacob armed with an unloaded revolver. Could have gotten away. Oh, yeah. Listen... For anyone out there, I hope none of you ever have to experience this. Do not let anyone fucking take you. If somebody comes up and tries to take you, you fight like hell. You fight till your last breath. Do not let anybody move you. And, and even if that gun is loaded, you can heal from a gunshot wound. You will never heal from the trauma that person is about to put you through. Yeah, he clearly picked children because he probably did not want to have to deal with an adult who would fight back. God bless these three little boys who had to deal with him in that moment and make incredibly hard decisions and choices. And I don't fault them for that. We did have a police scanner. So that comes into play. He waited in wait for them. It's probably very likely that when Trevor passed by them that first time and he heard like rustling in the leaves, that it very much was him laying in wait for these boys to come back by again. He, once he picked, got Jacob, he handcuffed him and drove him around. And he began to hear on the police scanner the information that the police were looking for him. He just continues to drive around. He actually tells Jacob to like duck into his seat. He actually takes them to Heinrich's town, which is Painesville, and they find a wooden area and he walks them out to the trees. He tells him to get naked. He sexually assaults him. Apparently Jacob starts to get cold and he tells him to get dressed. Heinrich thinks that he sees a patrol car in that area and it makes him very nervous. And so he, instead of letting Jacob go like he did the other boys, I guess there was just so much police activity that he loads his gun and kills Jacob right there in this wooded area. He leaves Jacob's body there and goes home. So he must not live very far away because a few hours later, he goes back to bury him and he like walking down the street carrying a shovel goes and I guess the shovel was too small um, for how hard the ground was. This is what is also crazy about this case. He actually goes and steals a bobcat to dig the hole like lights, sound, all of it. So I don't know how wooded this area is, but it's not that far from a neighborhood. Well, and again, small town America, though, like it- no one questions these things. Like, it would not have been uncommon where I grew up for that to be a thing. Yeah. It, it just would No one would have questioned it. Been it's, like, oh, he's out digging in his yard. All right. <laughs> it's just crazy to me, like, how many moments he could have gotten caught. Yeah. So he goes and returns the bobcat and I guess goes back to the scene and realizes that he didn't bury his shoes. So he ends up throwing Jacob's shoes in a ravine. And essentially, like, all of this happens within three hours of him taking Jacob. I don't know if it was, like, a year or so later, he goes back and moves Jacob from his burial spot into a new spot. I don't know if it's that he's nervous or whatever. That much time after, too. Why? why? What's the motivation? I don't understand, other than I think that so many people were out looking for him, and to our knowledge, Jacob's the only one that he killed. Everyone else he released, maybe just extremely nervous about it. Honestly, who knows? It's interesting, too. Heinrich had been a person who had been looked at by the police before for, like, other things and just never seemed to get caught or get actual time put away. Another thing that 
I read is one of the times he was pulled over, the police saw that he had a scanner in his car and confiscated it and took it back. But that was a big piece of it is that he was listening on that police scanner, heard the police officers talking about it. That's how he was able to dodge. Mm -hmm. I don't think we mentioned it in our reporting of John Bonet, but that was something that the police did in John Bonet is they did a radio silence call. And that they weren't talking over radios in case somebody was listening. Now, again, this is seven years later, which they don't know what happened to Jacob at that point. But it's interesting how later they cut the police scanner out. They do radio silence and don't use the police scanner. The family was able to have Jacob returned. And I know for his parents and probably for his family, this was of great relief after he'd been gone for so long to to finally know. I'm sure none of it brought them justice, even though he was behind bars. It's a, a pain you don't ever get over. But I do want to say a couple of things. His family really has done some amazing things. And what I think has turned a tragedy into just really good moments. Four months after Jacob's disappearance, his parents formed the Jacob Wetterling Foundation, and that is an advocacy group for children's safety. In 1994, the federal Jacob Wetterling Act was passed and named for Jacob. It was the first law to institute a state sex offender registry. This law has been amended several times, um, most famously by Megan's Law in 1996 and then Adam Walsh Child Protection and Safety Act in 2006. In 2008, the foundation started by Jacob's parents became the Jacob Wetterling Resource Center, and it carries on the work started by their family. And so it says that it's to educate the public about who takes children, how they do it, and what each of us can do to stop it. There's also a Bridge of Hope, which is a crossing over the Mississippi River in St. Cloud that's in name of Jacob's honor. Some really nice things that his family did to outpour in their community, really to try to stop this from ever happening again. I find that so fascinating where this really horrible thing happens to you and you can't do anything to change that. But what you do is you try to make people's lives better. And so... It was such a hard story to like research and even to talk about this felt good that they found some momentous things to really celebrate Jacob over. And I appreciate that. One to your point too, the advocacy that you can provide as someone that has been a victim yourself, as someone whose family has been torn apart, you can find this space of being a warrior and, and being in an advocate and someone that stands up for other people that don't know how to stand up for themselves in the midst of their own tragedy. So good good for them after such a tragic loss. That's the story of what happened with him and the investigation that took a long time to find out what happened. And it's so interesting because it was all right there. It was in 10 miles. It was in 30 miles of where it all happened at. And I think it's important to like make sure that investigations are following some of that 101 asking questions asking people you know did you see anything suspicious did you see anything normal you think out of sorts you know and really being an advocate for not only yourself but your loved ones in those situations and like to be an advocate truly for yourself to trust your gut you know this was premeditated and there were a couple of instances of people being like something just wasn't right 
And in those moments when police couldn't believe them because the police's job is to, to prove something, right? And that's different than this gut instinct, but people, trust your fucking gut. Trust it. If something feels off, it's probably off. A hundred percent. And, and be believe suspicious. it, follow it. That's right. Be suspicious. That's right. Thank you to my cousin who suggested us looking into this case. If you have any ideas for things that you guys want us to talk about, please hit us up on our social medias. You can find us on Instagram at NosyBees. Same thing with Facebook. You can email us. Michael, you do our email the best. Yeah, yeah. The email is nosybeesforlife at gmail.com. That's N-O-S-E-Y-B-E-E-S, the number four, L-I-F-E, at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know. We'll see you guys next time. Hey, you made it to the end of the podcast. And while we love to provide our unsolicited feedback on, well, just about everything, it's always important that we try to stay kind, stay curious, but of course, stay nosy. Bitches.